0: Yay. Thank you, Nate. Here we go again. Do I keep moving? What do we do? (laughs) Let's move in slow motion. (laughs) Okay, we're good. (laughs) I just imagine someone not hearing the feedback and just seeing me move in slow motion towards the stage. This is how we start every Sunday. Uh, Good morning. My name's Janelle. And today we're going to continue our study in the book of John. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible or your Bible app to John chapter three, because today we're going to be Uh, up on the screen we're going to be referencing some old testament scripture and so it'll be nice if you have your own copy of john you know in front of you that we can be looking at it side by side so we're just going to jump right into it because we have a lot to cover it's 21 verses I'm, i'm excited about these verses they're pretty fun and uh last week we learned about jesus flipping over the tables at the temple And we've also already learned in the book of John that this is not written in chronological order, but it is written in intentional order, emphasizing themes. Okay, so last week we learned about Jesus flipping over the tables at the temple and we realized it was more than just a fight against commercialism within the church. It was about Jesus recognizing there's corruption within and he's over it, he's done And now the outside is matching the chaos within the of the inside And he's also there to say there's a new beginning We're starting over This, this way of doing things is no longer working We're changing it up then he goes on to say the little lesser known verses where people begin to follow Jesus and they trust him. And John goes on to clarify that Jesus does not trust them back. <laughs> Woohoo <laughs> uh, That's funny that that's like pointed out, you know, this part is not reciprocal in the relationship. Uh, but it also goes back to the visual that we see in the temple of Jesus is not being tricked by what's happening on the outside. God is never tricked by what's happening on the outside. He's not interested in our outward conformity. He's always, 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 every single time interested in our heart. Okay, so those verses are what is leading into the verses we're going to learn today. Uh, Before we uh, jump into it, has anybody here seen the show The Chosen with Jesus? Yeah, most people. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, So in The Chosen, we learn about Nicodemus. I mean, obviously we learn about it in the Bible, but we see, uh, Nicodemus in the chosen and that's who we're going to be learning about today. So if anyone's seen the chosen, they're like, Oh, I know exactly what he sounds like. I know exactly what he looks like. I can picture this interaction perfectly. So that's what we're going to be learning today. But before we jump into the verses, I want to talk about the poem that started the whole gospel of John because this poem is our key to the key like concepts and themes that John is reinforcing throughout this entire gospel. And he's going to be reinforcing those concepts and themes in today's verses. So it's important for us to kind of have a reminder of that. The poem begins in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Now the poem goes on for a few more verses. It kind of mirrors what's happening in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. Now, I'm not going to go into everything about that poem. We already have a teaching on that. If you haven't heard it, I highly recommend going back and listening to it and finding the themes that are in there as we discover those. But I do want to quickly review some of the themes we learned from that poem because, again, that's our key to the rest of this gospel. So dark represents death. Wait, ooh, sorry. (laughs) Represents death, life outside of God. Light represents life or life with God. Now, the poem does not mention the word water, but it's mirroring what's in the book of Genesis. So we've got water in here because the poem is talking about cleansing and new beginnings. And in the Bible, we're going to see water being represented as that constantly. And today is no exception to those verses. Okay. So we've got this in our brain. We ready? All right. So let's go ahead and start reading. We're just going to read the first two verses and then we're going to stop. In John chapter 3, it says there is a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Okay, so I want to stop here and look at the character that John is introducing the very first Nick at Night. Thank you. I, uh, I was listening to, yes, yes, that's what I was hoping. I was like, I hope they clap for me today. Um, and I was praying it all morning. So thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I was listening to my dad's teaching on this 10 years ago and he used that joke and I'm like, I'll write that down and use that again. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, anyway, so it says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. It also says he was a religious leader. So a lot of people interpret that to mean that he was part of the Sanhedrin, which means that Nicodemus represents religious authority And he represents civil authority. We don't really have a comparison like that to our modern day. You know, it'd be like a really well-respected pastor and a congressman. And there is no separation of church and state. And Rome is in charge of everything. So, I mean, that doesn't really work for today. But we can assume that he was probably wealthy. He was probably really well-respected. He was probably older than Jesus. Again, I'm sure everyone who's seen The Chosen is like, we know this. Keep going. Um... But Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus and let's look at when it says they were meeting Verse 2 when are they meeting? After dark. Oh, there's our key word. We're looking for that So that's at night. So what is John cluing us into right away? This is a representation of a separation from God This is life separate from God Now we've just learned about the temple being turned over and Nicodemus is part of that system we learned about people following Jesus and Jesus not trusting their hearts. And that leads right into what we're learning about today with Nicodemus. I don't think John was like, oh, I didn't think about that. John was very intentional about how we put this together. As we mentioned, it's not in chronological order, but it's in an intentional order. But here's what I love about this. Jesus is meeting someone at dark. Someone wants to meet Jesus at dark and Jesus meets him there. Jesus does not say to Nicodemus, "Uh Uh-uh, if you want to meet me, you have to wait for daylight just like everybody else. Jesus does not say, How dare you ask to meet me at dark? Don't you know who I am? Jesus meets him in the dark. Jesus meets us where we're at. Now Nicodemus shows up telling Jesus, Who he is, we know. God sent you to teach us, and I think there's something about this too that we're we're supposed to pick up on. Countless people have seen Jesus's miracles that we see in the Gospels, and they believe instantly. The blind man at the gates cries out to Jesus, "Son of David, don't pass me by. Here is an expert in the field." We know, we know that God sent you to teach us, but that's as far as he goes. So let's keep reading and see what happens with this interaction. Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I'm going to go back to this because my dad did these slides for us and he did this really cool painting and I forgot to show it earlier. So this is their meeting. (laughs) Oopsies. (laughs) That's okay. You can look at it now. Okay. So a well-respected Jewish leader would know the stories of the Old Testament by heart. They would know it very, very well. Where you and I might hear the stories of the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounds kind of familiar. I remember that. So what Jesus describing here would, would be familiar to him. Because what Jesus is describing here are not new concepts to the Jewish faith. What do you mean? I'll show you. Okay, so in Genesis 1, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 1. Now go ahead and keep your Bible open to John 3. Look at John 3, verse 5. Jesus says, we must be born of water and the Spirit. So we're going to go ahead with that in our brain. We're going to jump to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Okay, so we've got four concepts mentioned in these first two verses that Jesus has also mentioned with Nicodemus we've got darkness, we've got life, we've got water, we've got the Spirit. John is not presenting us with new concepts in his poem jesus is not presenting nicodemus with new concepts in this interaction and jesus is saying to nicodemus how are you missing this you're the religious leader you're the expert how can you be missing what i'm saying okay well maybe nicodemus forgot this example let's go ahead to another example we're going to go to ezekiel this is also in the new testament we're going to read ezekiel chapter 36 starting with verse 22 and we're going to go all the way to verse 27 Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it. I'm doing, (laughs) he doesn't trust us, remember? Okay, I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, for I will gather you up from all of the nations and bring you home again into your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Yeah, I heard the hmm. Yeah, good. (laughs) Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Okay, so what are we seeing in these verses that line up with what Jesus is telling Nicodemus? There's the same four concepts like found here darkness now listen this doesn't say darkness but it's describing a life separate from god and we know that's what darkness means there's spirit there's water there's new beginning new life now way before jesus showed up and nicodemus is reading ezekiel maybe for the first time let's picture that do you think he was saying to the people around him or to god okay god says he's going to take out our stony heart so that means he's physically going to cut us open and put a new heart in no, we, we know he would see the imagery in this. He would see the poetry. But yet when Jesus uses the same imagery that he's been studying, it's lost on him. We learn from these verses that understanding God's plan requires humility. We learn from these verses that Jesus meets us where we are at. Yes, awesome. We learn that Jesus will go to the darkness to speak with us. And we also learn that we could miss everything Jesus is saying if we show up thinking we already have it figured out. If we don't show up with open hearts and a willingness to learn, we can miss what Jesus is saying to us. I know the phrase, I don't do this well, has kind of become the Eastgate slogan here. It's a three-star church and we don't do this well. Okay, but there's meant to be humility in that statement. We hear my dad saying that all the time when he's up here. I don't do this well. And there's meant to be humility in this statement. It's meant to be an awareness and a public acknowledgement. I don't have this all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I cannot rely on myself to do this perfectly or even very well. If we are showing up to God convinced we already have everything we need to know, we have it all figured out, telling God who he is, then we're just like Nicodemus in this story. We'll be unable to understand or hear the truth of what's being said and what God has been telling us since the beginning of time. We won't go wrong with humility. We can't go wrong with humility. And I used to think that having humility meant a lack of confidence. I don't know if anyone else ever felt that way or feels that way or that this idea that I have to hate myself in order to fully love God. That is not the case. I can be very confident. I don't do this well. (laughs) No, truly we can be confident people. We can be confident people. We can like ourselves. We can like who God made us to be, but there is a clear difference, a clear distinction. So please hear me when I'm saying this. There is a clear difference between confidence and believing ourselves to be all knowing. That is the mistake that Adam and Eve made at the garden at the beginning of time. They relied on their own knowledge of good and evil instead of God's. Nicodemus is doing the same thing here in these verses and it leads us to ask the question am I doing that am I acting as if I'm all-knowing as if I've got all the answers and have this figured out I think we find our way through this gospel of John when we remember what we've been saying the last few weeks and that is we don't take ourselves seriously but we take God seriously So let's keep reading this next section of verses. I'm excited about them. All right. It's a chapter three, verse 11. I assure you, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the son of man has come down from heaven Oh, don't go there. Okay, that's it. For that goes to thirteen. Okay, I actually wanted to go through to fifteen, so go ahead and keep reading that in your Bible. So it says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Verse fourteen. And Moses and as Moses was lifted up, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Those last two verses are important for what we're about to talk about. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. And honestly, verses 11 through 15 could probably be its own teaching. There's so much going on here. But that's okay. We're just going to focus on the highlights. Okay, so Jesus is confronting Nicodemus' heart. And he's saying, I know. I know. You don't have to pretend with me. I know. I know you don't believe me when we tell you these things. I know you don't believe me. So I also know you're not going to believe when I tell you about heavenly things. And here's another thing I love about this. Jesus acknowledges Nicodemus's heart, and Jesus doesn't leave. Jesus doesn't say, I know you don't know this, so why would I waste my time on you? No, Jesus continues to explain what is happening to Nicodemus. He tries again. Okay, we'll reference another story, you know, speaking Nicodemus' language. And even though Nicodemus doesn't understand it, he just doesn't understand it yet. We know in the gospel, Nicodemus comes back. He goes on to defend Jesus with the religious leaders. He goes on to help Joseph of Arimathea in the tomb, in the burial of Jesus, and assisting with that burial. So Nicodemus thinks on this. He thinks on this, which is another thing I love about this interaction. Jesus is not pressuring Nicodemus to accept it right now. He's not saying, I told you, okay, believe, come on, why are you taking so long? This is another example of Jesus' patience with us as we process and as we learn. Okay, so Jesus goes on to reference what happens in the book of Numbers with Moses and a bronze snake up on a pole, and Jesus compares himself to that story. Now, remember, Nicodemus knows these stories really well. I'm sure he's picturing it perfectly. We are not Nicodemus. We're not Jewish religious leaders. We probably don't have these stories memorized. So we're going to read it again this morning. So this is in Numbers 21, and it's verses 4 through 9. That way we can have it in the front of our brains just like Nicodemus would. Okay. Uh, before I start actually reading this out loud, this is when the Israelites have escaped slavery. They passed through chaotic waters into a new life and they're going to the promised land. But on the way, they get a 40 year timeout wandering the wilderness because of their decision to disobey God. Okay. And this is something too. like in air conditioning. I'm like, I can't believe them, but I know I would be like the first one in line. Like, let's go. Um, so, okay. So this is numbers 21 versus, uh, uh, Four through nine. Mine says four through nine. It says eleven up there, but it's supposed to be four. It's just a typo. It's just a typo. Okay. I was like, oh boy. Okay, so then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Uh oh. Why have you bought, brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Okay, what a twist. Uh, then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people and then the Lord told him make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed Okay, this was something that when I read it before was like I thought idols were a bad thing why are we making an idol? You know, wasn't this part of where they had to wander the wilderness for 40 years? They were worshiping animals made out of metal. But here God is saying to do that. Why? Why would God say to do this? Well, let's think back to Genesis in the story of Adam and Eve. What deceived Eve in the garden? A snake, a poisonous snake. The fall of mankind is associated with a snake sin is represented as a snake the Israelites sinned against God in the desert what killed them a snake their sin how does God save them he puts a snake their sin on a pole and whoever looks at it will be saved now all of humanity has sinned against God no one is exempt from this everyone has done it it's the human condition what kills us What separates us from God Sin Represented as a snake in the Old Testament And how does God save us? He puts that sin on a cross That whoever looks at it will be saved Jesus' death on the cross Is the fulfillment of this story The fulfillment of many stories in the Old Testament But this one included Our sin is nailed to a cross And whoever looks to the cross For help will be saved It wasn't Jesus' sin that was nailed. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was blameless. It was our sin. Our sin, represented as a snake in the Old Testament, nailed to the cross. We look to this cross and we remember that our redemption is complete. Our sin has been killed. We just have to look to the cross to remember that. Remember that God has already made a way to save us god knows this human condition that's why he sent jesus and because he knows this human condition we learn from these verses oh there's another image i was supposed to show you earlier (laughs) there's a snake and jesus together okay we learn from these verses that every person no matter their background is offered transformation through christ jesus finds the least of us And he finds people like Nicodemus who think they have it all figured out. He finds everyone. And he meets us where we're at and he offers us a new life. A new life separate from shame and darkness. A new life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. A new life with our sins nailed to the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already done a new life where we can rely on god's wisdom instead of our own every person no matter their background no matter their sin no matter their choices no matter their wisdom is offered this same transformation through christ and that is good news okay so let's finish up with today's verses we're going to read uh one of the most famous verses found in the bible and that's john 3 16 okay it says in john 3 16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment. Let's read that again. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come into the light so others can see that they are what they are doing and what God wants. This section of verses is so beautiful. I, I don't feel like worthy, honestly, to speak about him. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's beautiful how Jesus wrote this and said this. That there's so much love in God's actions. And again, notice Jesus using the word light. Remember when he's meeting Nicodemus at dark and he's inviting him into the light It's this. He's reinforcing this invitation to Nicodemus. Come on, come on into the light. It's okay. Come into the light. Let go of your sin. Come into the light. Do what's right, and let other people see that. And even though these verses are quite famous, there's something in here that's a fact that I think is really easy to forget, and that is, God says we're lovable. Sometimes there's this thought in Christianity and it can be reinforced with the Christian culture that maybe we grew up in living here. And that is this thought that we have to hate ourselves in order to love God or this idea that God's the best. I'm the worst. And the first part's true. God is the best. We can believe that, but that doesn't make us the worst. It doesn't make us horrible, unlovable people incapable of making good choices. I have a son named Elliot. Uh, he's awesome. He's turning four next week, and his life is a miracle. The, the story of how he was born was incredibly traumatic, incredibly scary, but he started breathing, which he didn't, wasn't born that way, but he started breathing, and he survived, and it was a miracle. And sometimes he has these ideas that he thinks are great, and instead of saying, I have a great idea, he says to me, I'm a great idea, like <laughs> yeah, you are a great idea, <laughs> and uh, sometimes his ideas are not so great. We love to go to the beach. We go to the beach all the time, and sometimes his great ideas involve going into waves that are twice his size without a flotation device, and he can't swim. He's run into the water. I'm a great idea. I'm like no, you're not. <laughs> sometimes his great idea is throwing sand in people's faces. He picks up sand. I'm a great idea. I'm like no. <laughs> Now, these are objectively not great ideas, right? We can all agree on that. There's objectively zero wisdom in these great ideas of his. Do these great ideas change at all how lovable he is? Do these great ideas change at all his value? Do they have any effect whatsoever on how valuable this child is to me? He is my son and he's loved unconditionally. We are God's children and we are loved unconditionally. And we have no concept for this except to think of the best example of love we have in our lives and know that it's more than that. What if we start with this belief? What if we start with the belief that we're lovable? That God in his infinite wisdom That is greater than ours That is perfect That we trust in God In his infinite wisdom Says we are lovable What does our day look like If we leave here Knowing that God sees our hearts He sees everything in it And says we're lovable What does our life look like when we live out of the confidence for God's love for us. Jesus, knowing our hearts, knowing everything we can think to be ashamed of, is reaching out his hand and he's inviting us into the light. Step into the light. Step into the sun. Feel the warmth of God's eternal love. As we leave here today, Let's remember what Jesus is showing us in these verses. I'm going to go back to this because it didn't get the credit it needed. (laughs) Jesus is showing us that he'll meet us where we're at. He'll come into the darkness. And even when we don't understand, Jesus will tell us how much he loves us. Jesus is showing us that he's already made a way to save us. made a way before we were even born. The snake has been killed and it's on display for all to see. We simply look to it. Remember, death has been conquered. The price has been paid. We are saved by Jesus. The last thing Jesus shows us in these verses is that we're lovable. We're valuable. We're worth saving. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. God sent his one and only son. Yeah, I don't know. I think about that. I have a son. And I just think about that, what God did. Sorry. I like got so emotional reading these verses this week. and was like, hold it together Sunday morning. So here we go. Uh, God set, sent his one and only son. He sent his one and only son to die for our sins. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says this path, if we choose to take it, is found in the sunlight and it offers no judgment. So let's take our place in the sun. Right on? Okay, let's pray and then we're going to do communion. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That you give your life away and we we look to you for salvation and we thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen.